Welcome back to the Planted Podcast. I'm Pastor Matt Grimm here at Cornerstone Church. Here's Thad Keenel is with me once again. It's good to be back. Thank you. Yeah. And we are continuing on with our discussion about the role of the Holy Spirit, not only in the giving of Scripture, which our last uh, episode, we talked about that through um, 2 Peter uh, 1, 20 to 21. Uh, but now we're, and we also kind of with that started talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in interpreting Scripture, because even Peter mentions that in that passage as well. But we talked about how the Holy Spirit, uh, as as He gave Scripture, that with that authority, the the prophets spoke from God under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't man's will or man's own interpretation, but this is the Word of God speaking. But we also see in Scripture how. The, the God gives the Holy Spirit force to open our eyes to understand these things, not just for the prophets who wrote them and spoke them, um, but also for us who are the recipients of it. Uh, and so uh, I want to look at how Jesus talks about this uh, to his disciples in, in, in John. So in John chapter 14, as he is beginning here in the, in, in the uh some people would say the the discourse that is in the upper room as he's preparing his disciples for the time when he's going to leave them. And so he's, he's letting them know that he's going to be crucified. He's saying he's going to be betrayed. Um, and he, he tells them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, but they're asking, you know, well, what's, what's going to happen? And he tells them he's not going to leave them as orphans. He's going to, he's going to give them the Holy Spirit um, uh, to help them. And in, in John 14, uh, so I'm going to pick up in verse 25, he says, um, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. Verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, don't let your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid, um, and so forth. But I really want to focus on verse 26 here where he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Do you think that's an ex- it's an exclusive thing then to understand the Scriptures fully that you need the Holy Spirit? Is that, is that what this is saying? Have the Holy Spirit. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm just thinking. There's a lot of right. there's a lot of smart people that can read this and they, yeah, and and they and, and they interpret it. Mm-hmm. Um, they they can make it out of context and they can say that. But it, it feels like he's saying there's something more mm-hmm. to um to also first of all uh, bring to mind um what he's taught to them before, but also to be able to apply it to to their world. I think so. Um. That seems to be the implication, and if we keep going in this discourse into John 15, a very famous passage of the vine and the branches, right, in that he says, you need to stay attached to the vine, right? And, and I believe the Holy Spirit is, the, is that means by which we stay attached to Jesus, who is the vine, right? So Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, how do we stay attached to Jesus? Well, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Um, and then within that, um, he says... Verse 4, abide in me as I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So uh, 
well, I'll keep going. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. Right? So it seems to me that apart from the Holy Spirit, we're not going to bear fruit. And and I think that fits with what he's saying in John 14, that we need the Holy Spirit to teach us these things. We need the Holy Spirit to to know the things of God because they are spiritually understood. Wow. So another comment here about the natural man, mm-hmm. um, about his inability to do something. I mean, I'm thinking back in John 6 that no man is able to come to me unless the Father draws him. There's this act of, or this yes. statement of inability. And here it goes at one step further. You can't understand the scriptures um, unless the Spirit is, is giving you that knowledge. Correct. Now, I think there we can... It's, at what level of understanding are we talking about? I mean, I think, you know, you the Holy we don't need the Holy Spirit to necessarily understand the grammar. Well right? that and that's where I was saying right. earlier, you know, there's a, there's a lot of smart that, there's people a lot that, of smart people who are gonna understand the kind of, yeah, Jesus is saying this versus this versus this. But there's a spiritual intent and reason behind all these things. Uh, the Westminster Confession talks about this. Do you have that in front of you? The the there's something about these things that there's an underlying overall message and intent that for the prophecy, for scriptures to be given to us. Sure. Let me go ahead right. and read this about the natural um, intelligence of man mm-hmm. <laughs> and general revelation. It says that although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. So just going back for a second, it says that the creation speaks out to the wisdom and the goodness of God, but that's still not sufficient um, to give the knowledge of God, which is necessary unto salvation. I think that's the the gist of it. Do you want me to go on? Well, no, I think, well, let's stop there, because okay. in some senses, that's that light of nature, the works of creation. It's talking about just general revelation in the sense of that being the way God made the world. So in creation, God made the world, and he ordered it in such a way that it, it, is, it does reveal who he is. We can look at creation, and we can say, okay, um, and, and, and a lot of apologetic, apologists will do this in the sense of, of um, what do you just say that it should be evident by looking at creation that there has to be a creator behind it. It's kind right. of the whole divine design argument, Right. There has to be a if if you see the divine design and things, there has to be a designer and all that stuff. Is that the ontological argument? Yeah, there yeah. there are some of those. But but I think what the what our um, here in chapter one of the confession, the our uh, they're saying, okay, it, it, beyond that, there's something more than that that needs to be known and revealed, right? Uh, in terms of, of of the gospel, and I. It, in some ways that we could take that same argument and apply it to the scriptures themselves, right? Now, the scriptures themselves, we would say, is that light that is that special revelation that's beyond the general revelation, okay? Right. And now follow me on this and tell me if I'm wrong, okay? I want to know if, if my thinking here is wrong, is that if the natural man, okay, without the spirit, if the natural man without the spirit can read these scriptures— and view them just as part of creation in the sense of, you know, you could read 
you know, lyrics by John Lennon, right? right. Um, it, the natural man could even take the word of God, which is given to us, we know, by the power of God for these other purposes. But if you're, if you're just reading him as the natural man, um, are you not able to see with their true intention? Yeah. Well, I think what the scripture points to is that all men know God, but there are there aren't any men that know God in his salvific sense without the Holy Spirit. So men can know God without knowing God. That's kind of how it puts. Let me let me read mm-hmm. it for in, uh, in in Romans one. It actually explains this a little bit. It says that. Um, for his invisible, this is God, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. Mm-hmm. So you can know and you can have intelligence, but it says here that you can still be futile in your thinking because without the revelation of the spirit to enlighten that truth to you, you're still in the dark. Mm-hmm. Even though you can read it perfectly, you can break out the sentences and you can know the grammar and you can see the sun and the stars and the moon right. and see all that. You're First of all, you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness by putting <laughs> that creation down. But to understand his word, there's more that has to happen. And, and so that next step sounds like to me, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that has to... Um, initiate that conversation with you. Right. Yeah, and I think I think we see that even the scriptures themselves, which are again, we have we said given by God, spoken from him through these men uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but even to the reception of them and to understand their true meaning, what they're all pointing to. Um that we that our eyes have our spiritual eyes have to be open to that. And we see evidence of this even in um, even in, in the disciples, even in those that were coming back with Jesus after his resurrection on the, the, the well-known passage of the road to Emmaus, right? That even there, he had to open their eyes um, to believe. And so in, in Luke 24, he's walking along with people, uh, and it's all start... Um, with uh, verse 24, it says, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow, what a Bible study that'd be. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so Jesus has to explain, he's explaining how he is, his his death and his resurrection became were important, and, and he showed that really that Moses and the prophets, it was there all along. And he interpreted the scripture in them the scriptures, all those things concerning himself. Now they read the, they were reading the scriptures, they they should have known this, right? But yet he needed to explain it to them. Right. And I think it should be noted here that Jesus is walking with them and that this is prior to the Holy Spirit <laughs> coming down to them. Right. Which This is before Pentecost. This right? is before Pentecost. Yeah. And therefore, Christ is 
because he is God, able to discern and tell them yeah. and enlighten their hearts. Right. And now with the ascension of Christ, um, we're left in the dark. Oh, no, we're not. No, we're not, because he promised he was in the Spirit, right? So that we'd be, have more full interpretation of the Scriptures. Yeah. And so if we go back to the to the Westminster divines <laughs> and keep reading, you know, what they're saying, that that what they're saying is that this this is there is an essential nature to the giving of the scriptures. That it yes, it's more than just creation, but we actually need the scriptures, right? Are are necess are necessary. Um, it says so, and afterwards, the better preserving and propagating of the truth. Well, I think you you stopped before then. Actually, he um, says. The, the, so we'll go back up to they're not sufficient. Just creation itself is not sufficient to give knowledge of God and of His will, which is necessary unto salvation. So there's the point. Right. Right. So it's it's what's necessary unto salvation to redeem us um, and help us see um, just the true nature. Of, of our rebellion against God, right? So it says, therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church, and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan, and in the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scriptures to be the most necessary, those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people, being now ceased. So, what's uh, what's the point of all this? Why why do we need to um, we, why we need we need the general revelation? We we've been given the general revelation of God through Scripture, as we see in Romans, hopes that holds us accountable. But beyond that, we also need His Word to explain it to us. Right to explain his purposes in all things, to lead us, and the point of the scriptures is to lead us into salvation. It's not just to show us what God's doing in history, but ultimately to lead us into salvation. And so, who is the ultimate? It, it, all of the scriptures are pointing to and leading to Jesus. We we talked about that a few episodes ago in in the Timothy passage, right? right? right, right. And we see Jesus himself having to explain how all the scriptures are revealing him. So he's doing that on the road to Emmaus, right? Because Jesus is, in in my view, uh, what I kind of say is that he is both, he is the, the joining together of general revelation and special revelation, that he is the creator himself comes and becomes part of creation. He's the word made flesh, right? So that we can actually, they could actually see him in visible form. The unseen God becomes visible before them in flesh, which is a stumbling block to the Jews, right? Yeah. right? But he's, but is the, the word of, of, of God made flesh is, is salvation for those who believe. And so in Hebrews chapter one, he says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Peter told us that an episode ago, right? We looked at First Peter two, right, right. Uh, First Peter one twenty twenty one. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets, and which Jesus Himself affirms on the road to Emmaus that He opens up the scriptures to them. He explains, you know, what Moses was talking about, what the, what the scriptures were saying about Him. Um, he says, but in verse two of Hebrews one, but in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through me also created the world. So there's that creation element who Jesus is a part of. 
He, he spoke to us by him. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature, and he opposed the universe by the words of his power. After making purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels in the name of his inheritance, more excellent than theirs. So, so Jesus is the image of God. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He holds up, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is God made flesh in our being able to see all those purposes in him. So in a sense, um, when we, we look back at the Romans, all the, the, the creation testifies mm-hmm. to God. Here we see Christ, uh, the second person of the Trinity, becoming flesh for us. And that's another visual of God's creative power mm-hmm. um, in us. So we have the prophets of old and then Jesus Christ, who's the more full revelation of what they've spoken of. And so there's no more prophecy is what it's saying, right? There's no more Old Testament prophecy. There's no, there's no more of that mm-hmm. type of prophecy. Christ speaks to us, and now it's by the Spirit. Yeah, I, I believe so. The, the, if we get back to our John 14, so the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us teach us all these things that we can know them, we can see the how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things, that he is the culmination of all that God has has been doing and the scriptures have been talking about. And now here in the New Testament, who are the, what are the New Testament writers doing? They're applying Christ to the church in, in, in their present time, which we then continue to do, right? And so as we do this, as we talked about last time, that in humility we are putting ourselves under the their authority, the authority of the scriptures are given to the, given to us by the, the Spirit, and then the Spirit's confirming in us in our hearts what they're saying because ultimately it's the Spirit who is our teacher. Um, now, where can we fall into traps and danger in this? Is is and we we got into this a little bit last time too. Is well, what about this guy says this or this guy says that and. And how do we reconcile these things? Or we might say, "Hey, um, I, you know, I woke up this morning and I was in prayer, and the Spirit told me to do this." Or the Spirit is is saying, "Hey, this is here uh, for you. I have a word from the Lord, and I'm I'm I believe now that um, X, Y, or Z is supposed to happen, or or is going to happen, or or I'm supposed to do this, or." or so forth, right? Or my interpretation is this, and I can just claim the Spirit. Right. right. What, what we always have to do in those things is we have to test them according to all of Scripture. And we have to help, the Scripture has to be interpreting itself even, even as we, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. You know, so, um, you know, I could, maybe, I, maybe I had a, you know, a really spicy piece of pizza before I went to bed that night. Right, and I wake up, and I've had these weird dreams, and it's like, is that the pizza talking, or is it the Holy Spirit talking? How do we discern these things? Right, and we have to be um, also careful to not make a, a category error in, mm-hmm. in this, because uh, we do have the promise that the Spirit that lives within us is going to guide and, and, and direct our lives. Um, so we have promptings of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us, but that is not... That's not prophecy, right? Right. So, 
if you have to be really careful that, for example, let's just take a, a well-known example in, in Joseph Smith in the mm-hmm. Church of Latter-day Saints. He has what is known as another testament of Jesus Christ. Well, that we can look at the scripture without even reading what he wrote, we should be able to say, no, you don't. <laughs> because why? Because there is no more prophecy according mm-hmm. to what is told us of this script. nature of, of, the, of the authoritative of, word there is no more of that nature right right so so that's the categories that yeah. that, that we can look at so just to i don't we don't want to scare anybody off saying well you mean i shouldn't feel like i'm led by the spirit no that's not that's not the right. point right it does mean the word the the, the the spirit doesn't apply the word to us and give us in our current situation a way to apply it and and reveal it or even maybe a, a word that is given to me that should be rooted and bound in Scripture that says, I, I really think the Spirit's telling me that, Matt, you need to tell, help Thad. This will be helpful to Thad in his current situation, or, or to John, or to Susie, or whoever, right? right, right. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think God still does that, right, and works in that way. But as we mentioned in our last episode, there's, there's that subjective part always can be governed by the objective that we have before us in the scriptures. And what does God give us to help test those things? When he gives us the word of God itself, but he also gives us the greater body of Christ, right? And so what I, would, what I believe the Holy Spirit is teaching me can be confirmed by other members of the body. And so if I start speaking something and and Pastor Winans or Pastor Hunt or some of the elders in our church or other teachers we have here, right, would say, man, I, I think you're off course here, right? And, and so we have to, in humility, allow that to happen. And, and so we, we offer correction in that way. And so if I, feel, if I feel like I got some great new revelation from God and nobody else in church history is, is, <laughs> as, you know, is affirming that, um, and then there's nobody else within within the body around here affirming that, or um, other modern day scarves. I, I'm on shaky ground, uh, and I need we need to recognize that. Uh, and so that's why sometimes when we have some of these new movements of theological movements that were you know there's no precedent for, I'm going to be skeptical at first right, right. of those things. And that's uh, that's one of the things I think that. We, we speak to in being careful with our traditions, mm-hmm. right? Because not that traditions are a bad thing, but they have to align with Scripture. And uh, one of our five solas is sola scriptura, so it right. all has to be right. founded on the Word of God and properly interpreted, yeah. which is, starts right back all the way to our right. 2 Timothy 3.16 verse, that, it's, right. that this is what it's here for, is for reproof, right. cor- correction, instruction, and righteousness for the man of God. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something... That, and, if we if we think about some people will say we'll look at your tradition and say you know like our tradition will be rooted in what a lot of people would call Calvinism right Reformed theology and right. things like that well the reality is if you if you look at Calvin you know some of the things that are attributed to Calvin are from his disciples and not necessarily just from him but the other thing is if you if you look at that and say well actually you can find a lot of those same things back in Augustine right you look at other church fathers back earlier in history. There's, you know, you'll find a lot of those same doctrines of, of original sin, total depravity, right? The, the necessity of grace. You're going to find that in, in Augustinian writings, not just Calvin, right? Yeah, so people that infer, hey, do you think Augustine was a Calvinist? 
<laughs> well, it's putting the cart ahead of the horse <laughs> right, a little that's bit. Right, right. Right. But the the idea is they're right. they're they're reading the Bible in a reformed way, right. which is covenantal and the promises of scripture and in light of each other right. and, and being as consistent as possible. And that's what we try to do. And so uh, I think we, we see a lot of people would say, man, there's just so many different types of churches where you're Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's sex within the Presbyterian and then there's Baptist right. and there's Wesleyan and there's, you know, the Nazarene church. And, and, and so you guys are all arguing about the, the truths of the word and have these different ideas. That, that's not necessarily true. Uh, um, uh, 99% of those churches that I just mentioned um, were harmonious. Yeah, they're all going to affirm the authority of Scripture. They're all going to affirm the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the necessity of the Holy Spirit in, in working in people's, li- in, in people's life to bring about salvation. Um, they, they may argue over a, a few words or a few um, parse some doctrines in some different ways, but there, there's some centrality of beliefs that are all there. I was just having that my my daughter who's in seminary. She's she's taking a you know a systematic theology class and and it it, it bugs her the, the the debates that exist and that there's this view versus this view and it it starts to break her heart you know at times because you know she's young and idealistic and 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 um, but but also because she knows that it's all about Jesus right and so I, I always have to I've just remind, been reminding her recently that you know don't let these things discourage you one they should drive you to the scriptures and help you try to have a firm foundation of what you believe and how can you best you can explain these doctrines um, but at the same time with that, remember that what what got you in seminary in the first place, what got her in ministry in the first place, that she loves to tell people about Jesus, right? That Jesus is the answer. Um, and so remember all those times and, and things that your desire to go out to get coffee or your your desire to be a camp counselor because you love sitting around the fire and telling people, telling the girls about Jesus. You love going and getting coffee with some, a college student and telling them about Jesus. You love getting in the Word of God with them, right? That ultimately, that... If, if somehow Jesus becomes extraneous to the conversation, if, if his life, his death, and his resurrection are not central to what we're being talked about, right, then we're probably getting off course in some way. Yeah, right, right. right? And so, because that's, that's what Jesus does in Luke 24. <laughs> he takes the scriptures and he says, listen, they're all about me in some way. Right. They're about me. And if, if, if we ever forget that, or if, if some... Um, air quotes here, Christian theologian or preacher is, is saying, well, actually, it's not about Jesus. Jesus just rep- is representing some other idea, right? That, that his life, death, and resurrection weren't necessary. It was just the idea of what he represents, you know, or we, we, we just have to take his teachings. And he, he's a good teacher, and so we just apply his good moral teachings. Uh, exactly. Right? And another point that I think what you'll see in... Uh, a good biblical church is when the teaching comes from the pulpit, they will tell the congregation to test these things to see if they're so. You do your own homework. I can't right. make your decisions for you. And you're to go in here, you're supposed to be like the Brians to receive the word with gladness, but mm-hmm. go and test to see if these things mm-hmm. are so. So you have a responsibility. It's 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 okay if you... Um, study a book about Islam, I think, because right. the Spirit of God is going to direct you um, back to his truth. And as long as you're, um, it's not like you're looking for truth under every corner, but if you're studying for research, that's not contrary 
to the apologetic of what we're going through to have to have a reason mm-hmm. for what we believe. Yes, and and that's and so uh, Tom Austin would be proud of us. We we got the word <laughs> apologetic <laughs> in and yeah. talking about reasons for what we believe. As one of our members here who who teaches classes on apologetics, um, uh, encourage if you have a chance to go to one, do so. Uh, but the what? Why do we bring all this up? To bring it back to John fourteen verse twenty six, right? That when we search the scriptures as the good Bereans did, we do so with an attitude of humility and prayer and asking for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, right? Um, and so we, we want the confirmation of the word and the confirmation of the spirit as we do these things. As we are planted in, in God's word, as we meditate on it day and night, as we go back and revisit it and rely upon it. That when we know that what is it there to do? It's there to, to lead us into salvation. And that salvation, but out of the scriptures, is by grace through faith. And that is applied to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He is the, he is the one who, when gives us new life, we are born again through the regeneration, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Right? So we have this Trinitarian view of salvation, right? That it is ordained by the Father. It is, it, is, it is accomplished by the Son, and it is applied by the Spirit, right, in us. And as the Spirit applies that to us in that regenerating work of, of, uh, of our new life, it's that same Spirit that is going to be then opening our eyes, applying the Scriptures, and helping us seek and understand. And so if we ever approach the Scriptures thinking that we can figure them out without the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, then... It's going to lead to pride and arrogance and all those things that I can be guilty of, right? And so in humility, I know that I need the Spirit, and I also need the body of Christ um, to come alongside and help me with these things. So that's why we encourage people, one, to, yes, test what the preacher says, but also get in a small group. Get in a community of people who you're going to study the Word of God together, right? And then if you're ever in one of those groups and they feel, you feel like they're kind of getting off track because even groups of people can get off track, right? Then we encourage you to go back into the um, historical faith. That's why we use things like the Westminster Confession as we, as to, to root us and ground us in these things and to, to speak to your elders, speak to your pastors and, and say, listen, you know, uh, are we on the right track here? Or, you know, um, Joe said something to my small group, and he's been reading this book by such and such a guide. Is is that good or not? You know, that's why we have. That's why we're part of a Presbyterian system, right? That that we not only we test it within this body, but we can actually. Um, if you feel like our pastoral staff's ever in error, you can appeal to the presbytery, and we can bring in other pastors and elders and teachers and say, hey, you know, is, is so and is is uh, is is Pastor Matt on the right track here? Um, uh, yeah, because, we can, you can take it right up the ladder to mm-hmm. to ensure as much as is humanly possible, right. under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course, um, that we're being biblical and yeah. like and like you said, you know, the the Scripture is is most necessary for what we need to right. um, to know about God and to understand. And then you've got the Father's decree, right. the Son's perfect work and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit's application, mm-hmm. which is all the ends of salvation. And then there's means. Mm-hmm. God not only ordains the ends of salvation, but the means to that salvation, right. which is the Scripture, the Word applied. Yeah, His the, means the, of grace being the Scriptures, yeah. being the pre, the proclamation of the Scriptures, 
right? right? In the preaching and the word of God, which we have on our, our, our Sunday services, but it also the means of grace are then the, the sacraments themselves, the Lord's Supper and Baptism, which are preaching the gospel to us in the elements, in the, in the, in the sacramental visible outward signs of, of that, then the Holy Spirit applies them to our hearts as we participate in them and wit- both participate and witness them um, being given. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And you actually uh, brought something up along these lines on Sunday in your fantastic message about um, uh, salvation. Yeah, we, we are saved, but we're being saved, mm-hmm. and we shall be saved. What, explain that real quick in the in the three tenses of, of, of salvation. Yeah, so this, I, we don't know when this is going to be. It goes back to a, a message in the Encountering Jesus series before Christmas, part of the Advent season, if you want to reference it. That wasn't just this past it. week? It was two weeks ago, but yeah, this... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but okay. but this podcast may not air till January too, so <laughs> that's why I'm saying if they want to go back and oh well, yeah. that's a good point. So yeah. this is not live. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. So so if you want to reference that, do that. But the but just real quick summarize that. Yes. Yeah, so the, the scripture speaks of our salvation in three tenses. It talks about um, we can look back and say I was saved. Uh, I've been saved. I'm justified. Right. That when when the Holy Spirit does that work quickens our our spirits, brings us new life, and we have faith, we can look and say, I'm justified by that faith, by the power of God's grace, and I can say, I was saved. I'm declared righteous by God because of because of the righteousness of Christ, right? But the but then the, the scripture also looks forward to a time when we will be saved. We will be delivered from this world, either either uh, at our passing or when Jesus return, um, we will be delivered from this body of death and flesh. We will, we will have a resurrected body in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will be saved for all time from sin, death, and evil. But there's a current uh, tense of salvation that talks about it, that we are being saved right now as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as we live this new life, this new birth that we have as new creations in Christ— Right as the old is passing away, the new is coming. That new creation has started even now in our new birth, in our new man, as we are being saved from sin. So now I actually have the capacity where in my old life, apart from Christ, I don't have that capacity and didn't have that capacity. But by the Spirit, now I can say no to sin, uh, and, and I can live by faith. And anything we don't do of faith right now, it says, is sin. Right, and so that is that is that current element of salvation in our life right now as the Holy Spirit uh, gives life to our new spirit. And as we walk by faith and exhibit, as, as Paul talks about in Galatians 5, we walk by the Spirit or in, in, or in Romans 8 or other places that we walk by the Spirit and not the flesh. And when we do that, what do we see? We see that fruit, that fruit being peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, all those things are shown as we John 15, abide in Christ and live by the Spirit. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's, that's what this is. And that's, that's I think, as to bring this back to a close, as we read the Scripture, we are, in essence, being sanctified by the Spirit as He applies it to our hearts. And it's part of that sanctification process that a current... Uh, ongoing work of salvation and in sanctification our lives. being a word like to be set apart. Yeah, to be a set set apart, to be made holy. Then there's a sense in which we can use that uh, that same uh, term in those three tenses as well. That we have been set apart by the Spirit, even now as God's people, that we can be referred to as saints. 
He, Paul writes to the saints of Ephesus, right? That's something that we are holy ones right now in Christ by the Spirit, but we're also being made holy um, currently right now as as that Christian character, those virtues we read in Peter, or that Peter alludes to in in in, in first uh, chapter of, of his second letter. Um, but then also, one day we will be fully and finally sanctified, which it can talk, um, which sometimes is talked about our glorification. But I would even say that's part of our sanctification as well. So, man, we've gotten into a bunch of uh, tangents it, here, it's also, whole other episodes. But yeah, but the, the point is, there are those three aspects, and and as we live into that current manner of of that presently being saved. Um, that is uh, the role of the Spirit and the role of the Word of God as it applied to our hearts and our life is so vital. And that's why we want to be planted in the Scriptures. Planted. Yeah. <laughs> the waters of living, the living Spirit that, that is within us, that's, yeah. our, that's our sustenance, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. And, and yeah, exactly. And the Word of God. Well, thanks, Matt, for, for sharing that. It's been another good conversation, and uh, we'll look forward to our, our meeting again next time. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? No, no. Thanks for we got a, we went a little bit long today, but we'll thanks for hanging in there with us and uh, come back next time as we uh, continue uh, to be uh, rooted and grounded in God's word and planted and planted. There we go. Have a good night. All right. <laughs>